hear you. You can hear me. Yeah. All right. Welcome back to the Road to Rescue here on Parable of the Vineyard. I'm Sean Griffin, and I'm accompanied by my incredible co-host. Ken Heidelberg. Sean, that's me. Are you referring to? Incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Buddy. Can't do this without you. You're great. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. And welcome, Parable of the Vineyard audience. We appreciate you guys joining us this evening for part two of an interesting discussion that Sean and I have been just dying to have with you guys. It's a, it's, it can be a, a fun topic and we just, we appreciate everybody for considering the scriptures that we're putting forth and testing them. And that way, um, just, you know, follow along. You're welcome to put any questions you have in the comment section. And, uh, we appreciate everyone joining us in the live chat as well, even though unfortunately, uh, because of the nature of the show and, and what we discuss, uh, during the show, and have to get through so many scriptures, you know, to try, you know, to, to fully flesh out the the topic. Sometimes we don't always have time to check the live chat, but we definitely appreciate all the appreciate all the moderators that are there that are keeping everything squashed and uh, keeping everything in love. And we we will try to join in if if possible. So, yeah, absolutely. And for those of you who may not know, um, Sean and I both have our own YouTube channels. Mine is called Hanging on Its Words, just right there. <laughs> That's right. A couple videos on my channel there, and so far, Sean, um, I would say I've I've had some pretty good feedback with regards to some of the videos that that have been put out. So it's been a big blessing, and I know it's the same thing with your channel, right, Sean? You should have some good feedback. You make great videos. Thanks, brother. Yeah, and um, yeah, and if people don't know already. I'm Kingdom in Context. For my little finger pointers pointing at um, Kingdom in Context, it's uh, just the whole purpose is to try to flesh out what the scriptures defines according to scripture. And keeping keeping all of our terms, definitions, and ideas in context is um, have several theological branches on the context tree that are repeated all throughout Scripture, and that helps us define the big picture, which is the gospel, the kingdom of God. So that's you're welcome to go check out Ken's channel and my channel um, if you like this broadcast and subscribe to our channels and show us some love, and we all appreciate you. Um, but we're really grateful for Adam that he's decided to have us on his channel because we. Um, we know that he has a, a very hungry audience that really enjoys the word of God. <laughs> They're really, uh, this is why we get such great reviews to this particular, this broadcast, you know, and we appreciate everyone for joining us week after week. And because people just really want to dig in, you know, we can at some point people realize that we've just inherited lies. Yes. And the more you dig, the more you see how deep the layers of lies are and it's yeah it can be depressing and it can be exhilarating in a way because you start to see that as the deeper and deeper you dig the more you get into that you know that layer of truth where you can have that full understanding of what the father wanted you to understand in his word so it takes a lot of digging it takes diligence and people who are willing to test things out and do so um, while, you know, displaying the fruits of the spirit, which is, which is key to getting to the truth. So, yeah. yeah. And I'd, I'd like to clarify that, you know, when I say we've inherited lies, it, it doesn't mean that what my grandfather may have told me about the Bible and a certain particular part of it that I found out later he was misunderstood about. I'm not saying he was intentionally maliciously lying to me. Just saying that over time, and I'm not in as there's probably people watching this right now that think, well, my dad taught me this and, and two episodes about the new covenant. You guys said this and you showed me all the scriptures. And so are you calling my dad a liar? Of course not. No, we're just saying we've inherited misunderstandings 
And, you know, in a, in a loose definition of the word, those are lies according to the truth of scripture. So we're not intentionally calling people that went around and, and had wonderful ministries affecting positively people's lives as a pastor of a church over many years. We're not calling them a liar because they were misunderstood and misled and deceived into believing dispensation doctrine. We're just simply saying these are these are non-truths that the scriptures doesn't define, doesn't describe. So therefore, technically they're lies, but we know they're not being told to us generationally with with ill intents. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's an important distinction to make for sure, Sean. I agree. Because when we start to come, you know, out of the typical mainstream church doctrine and we're shown whatever the truth may be, whatever topic it is, all of a sudden we want to have this like anger, right? It, you respond with an anger. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why wasn't I taught this earlier on in my life? And then you, and then you have the zeal to go out and teach your friends and your family the same thing and they don't receive it. And then you get angry at them, right? Or they I get angry this. at you because they don't want you telling them about it. Exactly. So one thing that I've had to learn along the way in my faith walk, Sean, is to be extremely patient and understanding and just recognizing that, as you said, these people, these pastors are family members who are unfortunately perpetuating, you know, these untruths aren't doing that with the intentions to, to do that maliciously. Like yeah. it's just something they've learned and they thought it's correct and they thought that it's true doctrine and they're just teaching it according to what they know to be true with with good hearts right so yes there are people out there purposely promoting lies that exists for sure but i would say for the most part many people are just doing so ignorantly and naively and we just need to remember that um treat them with love exactly and the people that get angry at you treat them with love as well because that's what we're called to do, right? We're called to bless those who curse us. And we are to consider ourselves blessed when we're persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And God defines righteousness as those who are obedient to him by keeping his commandments. So it's just simply, you know, we're coming into some, you know, this is actually something that my wife and I were doing our, our weekly Torah study. And we were looking at, you know, Genesis verses and, and Genesis. And it led me to Jubilees, which can be done easily. And, and from there, I remembered what Jubilees prophesied and, and both in chapter one and also chapter six, that people would forget how to walk with God according to his commands. And then in Deuteronomy 30 in verse one, it says, and then they'll call to mind from wherever they've been scattered. They will start calling them to mind the blessings and the cursings, which are related to obedience to the commandments, meaning they're going to be remembering the commandments, right? right. They're going to be calling to mind. There's a, there's a point where they forget as Jubilees prophesies and then Deuteronomy 30 there's a point where they start to remember and I, and that, and that remembrance time is in the end days. And I hundred percent believe we're in that time because people we're seeing the fruit of it everywhere. People are starting to wake up and remember what the father has told us as instructions for living and how to walk with him as, as Jesus and John defined. And so I think it's fascinating that in, while this is happening, there are some who are not quite waking up as fast as others. And when they're confronted with those who are waking up to this truth that God's word is applicable, 100% of it. And it's just interesting to see that, you know, their reactions, as you said, this is the point where they can either display fruits of the spirit and continue to test things out and go to the word and, and look for, you know, a, do a deeper study in the word. And even if they don't agree, they can still walk in love, you know, and, exactly. and on both sides of that with the person that's woke and the person that's still 
has yet to wake up, right? Because they will <laughs> at one point. Yeah. I promise. The scriptures tell you they will, actually. We won't go into that tonight. But so the point is, like, you know, it, it just love is required on both sides of that equation. Yeah, exactly, brother. And I, I highly respect those who know how to gently bow out in opposition to something that I may you know, promote or teach or try to discuss, you know what I mean? There's a way of doing it properly if you don't agree. And I highly respect those who, who are able to do that. So let's just keep that in mind, brothers and sisters. And uh, yeah, if Sean, if you don't mind, I'm going to start. Yeah. I'm going to say a quick prayer before we get started there. And uh, yeah, Father God, I thank you so much for just the ability that Sean and I and, and Adam and Justin and all those who, who are on the parable of the vineyard, Father, and who have ministries, Father, like this, are just able to, to do this, Father. And I just thank you for this opportunity. I just pray for the brothers and sisters who are watching now or who will watch later, Father, that wherever they're at in their lives, Father, I just pray that you would encourage them, that you would call to mind, Father, the promises that you've displayed in your word, and that you would give them hope. Father, and you would increase their faith and help them in their unbelief in certain aspects of their lives. I pray this for both of us, Sean and I, and for everyone, Father. And I just pray that in these latter days, which we are in, Father, where we're calling to mind your commandments and we're seeing just that we've, you know, inherited lies that have been passed to us over centuries. And I just pray that we would be patient with each other, loving, Father, and that we would um, just strive for those fruits of the Spirit that come and are displayed with those who have your spirit working in their lives. And I just pray that we would just remember to do that. And um, so we thank you so much for everything you're doing. And I thank you for the discussion that we're having tonight, Father. It's an important one. And um, it could potentially be just one of those inherited lies again, Father. And I just pray that brothers and sisters would test the things that Sean and I are going to talk about tonight, um, ultimately going to the scriptures and being Bereans as they should be. So we thank you, Father, for everything. And we ask all this in your Amazing son's name, Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ken. You guys, as you may have known, um, if you joined us last week, we're discussing Eden. Where is Eden, right? This is the part two of that that we were looking at last week. And this is the wife forsaken, right? So we've, we've, we're watching in the scriptures as we detailed last week, both the origins of the Garden of Eden, what, how the father talked about it, where it is now, what the father has plans for it. And now we're going to see more discussion between the father and the garden of Eden that he is calling his paradise. And we're going to look at what that means to us and the end of days when the Messiah returns. Absolutely. So, yeah. All right. Ken, do you want to read your first couple slides? Yep. Absolutely. Cool. Pull that up. Okay. We are in the lovely Isaiah chapter 54. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says Yahweh. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. And do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your husband is your maker, 
whose name is Yahweh of armies, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the Elohim of all the earth. For Yahweh has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says Elohim. So Sean, I think we'll just stop there for those first two slides. So much fun stuff. So, so much beautiful, beautiful words of our father just to express to us that there is actually a moment here where he's telling, he's telling this woman that he's talking to, which we discussed last time was Mother Jerusalem above, who used to be the Garden of Eden that's currently being prepared. And he's telling her at the very beginning here to, to stretch out where you, you know, strengthen your pegs, right? Lengthen your cords. So if metaphorically, if this is like a curtain, which is the, the metaphor that it was just spoken of as, as a tent, then you've got to stretch it out because what we read at the very end of last week was Isaiah 49 verses 13, I believe through 18, where it talks that the actual garden is talking. This woman is talking and saying, who's going to make room for me and all the inhabitants that are resurrected into her are saying it's too cramped. Will you make room for me so I can live here? And this is the father answering that saying, Oh, stretch out your, your boundaries. And because your descendants will possess nations spread abroad to the right and the left. And he's just basically saying and make it bigger. Yeah, exactly. And Sean, as you had said last week, um, you know, this is one of those characters that's in the scriptures that is, you know, often, not understood or just even overlooked right i mean we know that um there's there's certain aspects of scripture where objects or you know whatever may be personified in, in certain forms and in this case it seems to be um this garden of eden this barren one is personified in feminine form as well right that's right Just trying to tackle these chapters years ago and, and thinking what is this talking about i never understood this right but then when you start to pick up this literary device um that is used in the scriptures it starts to make a whole lot more sense that this is referring to you know what we're talking about here this this new jerusalem this this garden yeah and as we look in the first few verses there it says the the desolate one the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman well how is it who's the desolate one who's the married woman yeah so this is where we have to clue into you know the mother jargon right which paul says in galatians 4 26 our mother above jerusalem mm -hmm. we got so we know that there's a jerusalem above that paul's referring to and in his day there was a jerusalem below so the in my opinion sean the jerusalem below would be the one that has the numerous sons yeah and the one that's desolate is the one that doesn't have any sons in her yet that's right yeah the one above yeah yeah, who who is as we're going to read here in a few verses is going to be the married one because she's going to be called married. Right. So it's uh, and what I find interesting here is that um, it it's just fascinating to me this to see this language that we 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 read about not just that she's a wife forsaken, but it talks about the reproach of her widowhood and the shame of her youth. Okay, so. What if I'm looking at the Garden of Eden and this is being transitioned into our, you know, New Jerusalem? And as we talked about last episode, again, you're welcome to go check out last week's episode. Um, we talked about the Garden of Eden was on the ground, according to different passages, up until the days of the flood, and then it was retracted and pulled up into heaven. And of course, all of this works within the biblical creation model. So right. this is why it's not a third dimension, it's not a you know, 
It's a tangible piece of land that was walled off garden that was retracted from the earth and taken up in above the firmament. And it, that's why we see it come back down as a large walled off piece of land that's been enlarged and it comes back down through the firmament. But that's not when it's in its youth, Ken. That's when it's in maturity, right? When sure. it's in its youth was the garden of Eden back in Genesis 2. And this is the, the shame of your youth, the reproach of your widowhood. Well, who is its widowhood? Who so if it's a widow and she's in widowhood status, who was its who was her husband? Well, I would say the husband is is the maker. Well, I know it says late after that, it says your husband is your maker, who's your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called Elohim of all the earth. Yeah. But in the beginning, so is so we're, the, the holy one, there's a distinction between the, the maker and the holy one, right? Yeah. So I'm, what I'm saying is if she's being spoken of in this metaphoric term of being a widow and she receives shame in her youth, like we talked, like it further expounds in the verses down, like a wife forsaken, like one of one's youth when she is rejected, who was she rejected by? That would be the one who brought sin into the garden. Yeah. So we know that Adam and Eve sinned. They, they were in the garden under a condition, right? They were rejected out of the garden. Therefore, she's left. She's left without inhabitants. That's right. right. The, fir the first Adam rejected her. The first Adam. That's right. That's right. And so um, this is an interesting dichotomy is what I'm trying to say. So if that's her youth, she's then rejected because the people that, that were supposed to be, quote unquote, in this marriage covenant with her are, are taken out of her because they forsook her. They couldn't keep the requirements to stay in her. So they forsook her. Right. right and right. this is why her maker is is her true husband. And this is what we're going to read about in Isaiah 62 later. So stick with us. OK. Yeah, it's definitely interesting um, description, Sean, about the stretching out your curtains, lengthening your cords, strengthen your pegs, spread abroad like it is. It's using this language to make it bigger. Right. And it's like, well, why would it need to be made bigger? Earlier on, when yeah. she was in her, you know, before her widowhood, she only had a few people that were inside of her, right? And so this is what's so amazing, guys, that Sean and I are so passionate about is this this understanding of the resurrection, right? The consummation of the ages. Yahweh has set a certain amount of people to come into fruition, I guess, into existence. And he's waiting for that 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 amount of people to come so that he can provide his resurrection and the, and the whole day of the Lord, which is the whole premise of our show road to rescue. Um, so that all these people can essentially enter into this broadened place because there's going to be way more people. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. People. Yeah. Jeremy 30 verse four regathered from every place under heaven where they're scattered at the first resurrection, both the dead in Christ. And then those who are alive and remain all at the last trumpet and the day of the Lord. They're taken up and re resurrected, taken into New Jerusalem, hidden away as Isaiah 26, 19 through 20 tell us. So they can miss and be away from the indignation of the wrath of the Lamb when he comes down with his angels to take out the wicked. And so this is why it's being prepared for us now. But in this moment here, before we do that, there's actually a moment, what we're going to read about here in a few verses, that talks about why she will not be humiliated anymore and why she will not remember the reproach of her widowhood, of her youth. Right, like a wife forsaken and rejected when she's when she's young, because there's something that she's being promised is all we're getting at. So, do you want me to read the next few verses? Yeah, go ahead, buddy. All right, screen share. Thank you, brother. Okay. So then, here in Isaiah fifty four seven to ten, it says, "For a brief moment, I forsook you, 
but with great compassion, I will gather you. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you, says Yahweh, your Redeemer. For this is like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again, so I've sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. My covenant of peace will not be shaken, says Yahweh, who has compassion on you. Then in here in verses 11 through 13, it says, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony, and your foundations I will lay on sapphires. Moreover, I will make your battlements of rubies and your gates of crystal, your entire wall of precious stones. All of your sons will be taught of Yahweh, and the well-being of your sons will be great. Yeah, that's wow, Sean. Um, a lot going on in this, you know, <laughs> these few verses here. I mean, yeah, like I said, there's no way that once you start realizing that this is a structure, this is referring to something, yes, in feminine form, but albeit it's still a structure. We know that with the latter verses that we just read here, with you know, your foundations will lay, I will lay in sapphires, and your battlements of rubies, and your gates of crystal. That that that's not referring to human beings right sean that's right yeah that's these are all descriptions about the new jerusalem we see paralleled in uh, revelation 21 as well and so this is where i love this is for a brief moment i forsook you but with great compassion i will gather you right which means i will come near to you it doesn't this isn't the same type of gathering of the first resurrection but in an outburst of anger i hid my face from you for a moment with everlasting kindness will have compassion on you this is your redeemer and this is the interesting part here because this is the moment where like a wife forsaken, but he says, Oh wait, your, your, your husband is your maker. Right. And so there will be a moment where she will not be forsaken and she will instead be brought near. And which we know, as we see the revelation 21, the coming down is the house is the paradise of God. Right. So this right. is his house that comes down and, and he's even comparing this to Noah, which I think is fascinating because we already talked about how it went through the flood and was retracted. And as we go scroll down to verses 11 through 14, you can even see him mention that again, where he's talking about the flood um, and saying, oh, afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted. Behold, I will set your stones in antimony, your foundations I will lay with sapphires. So he's even telling her, as he's referencing the flood, he's calling her afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted. And this is where we read last week from Enoch, where it talked about how um, the flood even flooded the whole land of Eden. So right. this was what was prophesied during the days of Enoch. And um, I, I think you read that from Jubilees 4. But more than anything, is a great distinction, and that's why it's highlighted here, is that it's speaking still to the city, and the Father says, all of your sons will be taught of Yahweh, and the well-being of your sons will be great. This is why it's not talking to the people, but to the city, because the people are brought into the city. We are the sons and daughters of God, brought into the house of God into the new Jerusalem and it's talking to the city in reference to its inhabitants who are, who are promised to come into it. Yes, absolutely. And for sure, Sean, I mean, we don't get many other passages in scripture that would indicate that the garden of Eden, which is the paradise of God. And I just want to remind uh, brothers and sisters watching that the paradise is simply um, when you look into the Greek, it's paradisos, which comes from the ancient Persian, which is basically an enclosed garden. So when we see the word paradise in the New Testament, it's still referring to the garden, which was walled off. And so right here, Sean, we don't see anywhere else. And I think you, you obviously agree that this is pretty much an isolated um, verse here about 
the garden going through the flood. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fast. Which is why really see it. Yeah. And we read, um, last week we read a couple different verses, excuse me, a couple different verses that allude to that as well. And I, and I think that was with, cause we talked about in second Ezra seven, how, uh, the bride shall appear, you know, now that it has been withdrawn from the earth. Um, so that we talked about the qualifiers there that was here, it was, but it was withdrawn and it shall appear again as the bride. Yeah. So that's yeah, we, yeah, we, we agree that like it, it got retracted from off the earth, but it's at what juncture after Adam and Eve, exactly. right? So it's yeah. like, it, it was on the earth all the way until the flood of Noah and through the flood. That's just amazing. It is amazing. Cause I'm, I'm just like, I've, is someone walking up to it, trying to get in, or are they walking up to that angel looking at him, guarding it? Or if they just want to camp near it, or I don't know. I mean, there's so I mean, there's so many questions, man. It just seems fascinating, like a complete talk about just a, an in-your-face testimony at all times. To yeah. there, there is a creator, and there's a right way to live. And yeah, exactly. your forefathers didn't do that, <laughs> so that's why you can't get in there, and that's why nobody can get in there. Talk about a huge testimony up until the flood yeah and as we even speculated last week even more so if noah and shem ham and japheth are teaching this to their descendants generations past the flood what a huge point of motivation for nimrod to build a tower to get through the firmament to go up into this place yeah yeah absolutely man um it you know as, as brother rob skiba says a lot it was about height you That's know, right. it, it truly was. I know a lot of people that, you know, do this research that pertains to Nimrod and Lana Shinar and stuff. A lot of them think it was like a ziggurat that was built there and that there potentially could have been some sort of like a portal or something they were trying to do, you know, rip the veil of time space and, and somehow ascend through that or something. Well, all we have to do is look at the biblical creation model and see that the firmament above our heads has floodgates. And it has, and apparently the Garden of Eden, which is a walled off garden, was retracted and went up through the firmament. So there is a way to get through that. And I guess these ancients would have understood that, as you said, it would have been taught to them. And thus Nimrod's attempts at trying to, to reach the heights, right? And to, you know, yeah. he, wanting to ascend above the, the stars of God and to, you know, all the five I wills of Isaiah 14. So fascinating, very fascinating. You know, Ken, even in astronomy, they claim that if you look to the north, there's a spot in the sky that doesn't have any stars in it. What if that's just the third firmament layer in the bottom of the Garden of Eden? <laughs> what if? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting indeed. You guys, in case you're not familiar with here on the Road to Rescue, we are Bible believers. So we believe all the Bible. We try to keep it in context of, of how the Bible defines its own terms. And one of those, those contextual ideas is the way... The father described his own creation and by his own creation, he defined that we are in an enclosed system enclosed by a firmament structure. And that firmament structure has multiple layers and down here on the circle of earth where we live, there's land and water. And this entire big house like structure that we live in is set on pillars. And there's a basement called Sheol to which, you know, that we did an entire episode on Sheol. I think it was episode four or five called hell matters. You can go check that out. On the playlist here on the road to rescue on parable of vineyard and um so we we are keeping the context the creator gave us for everything that this story the room that this story takes place in the creation model we're keeping all of his words in that context 
So we don't put them in a heliocentric context, which is not what the scriptures describe. Yeah. So this is how we, Lord willing, can bring to you clarity from the scriptures because we're keeping it in its original context the Father gave us so that we could be clearer on what he's describing and communicating to us. Yeah, exactly, brother. Amen to that. Um, Sean, before we move on, I just wanted to point out the um, the last couple verses here in uh, Isaiah 54 where it talks about, you know, for the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake. We know that that's referring to the day of the Lord. Um where Sean and I actually talked about that in early episodes of, of the show. I think it was like the first couple episodes, Sean, we might've brought that up about how the mountains are going to be, you know, brought low and, and the valleys yeah. risen up and all that, right. We're going to have a broad plain on the earth. Um, you know, and, and he's kind of giving us the context here. And, and then you have the highlighted um, part here where it says my covenant of peace will not be shaken. And we've discussed this, haven't we, Sean, about the new covenant, that's right. Um, I believe that's synonymous with the new covenant of Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, 37. Um, so it actually calls it a covenant of peace in Ezekiel 36. Yes, it does. Yeah. So very, and very. That's actually angry. why these next few verses, I'm glad you brought that up because this ties in perfectly to our Isaiah 62 passage. Right on. I'll just pull that up right now. Okay. Do you want to read those two? I'd love to. All right. So we're in Isaiah 50, we're 62. Okay, so it says, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. And you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of Yahweh will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of Yahweh and the royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said to you, forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said, desolate. But you will be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For Yahweh delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Love it, Sean. Isn't that beautiful, man? Isn't it beautiful? You'll be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. I just think it's amazing. Yeah, right? and Sean, if I'm not mistaken, I think, is it Ezekiel 48, like literally the last verse in Ezekiel 48, the last chapter, last verse, where it says that the city will be called Yahweh is here? There's, I believe that's one place. It's there's another place in Isaiah um, where it's it, the city is called the place where the Lord is, and then in Zechariah chapter eight, I believe, or, or chapter two, they call it the city of truth. Yeah, and so you, there's <laughs> and a lot it, of names. Yeah, there's some names, but I mean, it's it's just in your face, right? Like, hey, this is my yeah. house. This is Yahweh's house. I'm here. Yeah, absolutely. What better of a name, then, right? Yeah, it's just it's amazing, and that's why. Um, it says further down in verses four and five that no longer is she called forsaken. So we read that in Isaiah 54, but now we're here eight chapters later in Isaiah 62. So no longer is she a wife forsaken. No longer is she said desolate, but she's called her. My delight is in her and your land married. Your land will be called married, right? Because she was like a wife rejected, but now she's going to be married again for Yahweh delights in you. And to him, your land is married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. That's plural, your sons, not just 
not just your Elohim, not just God. But as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. And there, Ken, in verse 5, the bridegroom, we have a direct tie-in to Yeshua, who is also Elohim, who is also God, but not the Father. That's right. Yeah, it makes me think, Sean, of the um, the instances where the Pharisees were asking Yeshua about his disciples and why they weren't fasting. Yeah. And then he talks about the whole, you know, the bridegroom, and, and he refers to his disciples and and. Um, I think he calls them the guest attendants, right? That's right. Yeah. So he doesn't say the, you know, the bride. That's right. He doesn't call them like, my brides. He yeah. doesn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's definitely very fascinating when you start to dig into some of the, the actual descriptions and terms that are involved with this whole marital contract that takes place on the day of the Lord, right? And who it's with and who it's not with and what it's with and what it's not with, right? It's amazing. I mean, because it clears up so much confusion that we've unintentionally been told over time. And I just, I, I just love this. Now we're going to get direct references to the bride uh, and directly to the new Jerusalem here in a few minutes. But as, as we were trying to talk about here, both in, you know, I think it's, did you say Matthew 19? Yeah, uh, I think it's Matthew 19. Yeah. And then also again in Matthew 22, the attendants of the, of the marriage supper, the lamb of the wedding are called the guests, but the bridegroom, is called the bridegroom and it's in isaiah 62 4 and 5 it's called god which is the word elohim in the hebrew it's not the word yahweh and there's a, there's a reason there's a specific distinction for that is because yeshua who is the son of yahweh right yeshua who was with yahweh before the world was created who was the firstborn of all creation the beginning yeah. of, of the works of god as revelation 3 14 tells that one that son who came and donned on human flesh being found in the likeness of a man he yeah. is the one who is called the, the bridegroom, and he is the Elohim. He is the one in Psalm 45, 6, and 7 that Yahweh calls God as yeah. far as Elohim. Now, yes, Yahweh is called God. Yeshua is called God. That, that There's a point. There's an Elohim nature. This is the whole point of they're not humankind. Before you know the son was in the flesh, he was Elohim kind. You know That's what right. I'm saying? Yeah. It's a different type of creation is what I'm getting at here. And so this is all the all the prophecies about the bridegroom was always for the son, not the father. It's already the father's house. He doesn't have to marry her. He doesn't have to go into covenant with her. It's his place. The whole point of the new Jerusalem of the paradise of God was for the inhabitants. It's their possession. It's their land that they're promised, their literal promised land. Therefore, they have to go into a covenant of peace, meaning Adam broke the covenant of peace. That's why he was expelled. But the second, the last Adam, as, as 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 tells us that Yeshua is our last Adam, he's going to enter us into this covenant of peace since he is the firstborn of many brethren and the first fruits of the resurrection. He is our king of Zion, which is this garden, right? He's our Elohim, our God, who we will give praise and worship to because he is our God. Right? He's a, but he's not the father. There's also the father. Again, this is, Ken, this is why Enoch 105 says both the father and the son. It says, you know, they will come down to earth and live amongst mankind. Yeah, that's right, brother. With, I mean, we're going to have the angels who are also referred to as Elohim, right? They're in the Elohim sure. status. It's just a, yeah, a lower just ranked not. status. That's right. That's and what's right. Cool because we're going to be, we're going to be made in the likeness of Yeshua. Okay. Um, and so therefore, he, that's why, because, you know, we're resurrected among mankind. There's, there won't be, as far as I can tell, there won't be anybody resurrected amongst angel kind. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you, you stole the words out of my mouth. I was just going to say that. I mean, we have passages, I think, is it Romans, Sean, where it talks about how like all creation groans and is earn, yeah. earnestly waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. Yeah. Right. This, yeah. yeah. So we have the sons of God, which are, we know that in the book of Job, they're, they present themselves with Satan before the father. Um, whoever these sons of God were, we know that they're the, the angel kind, right? Elohim kind. Well, that's, that's what we get to become at the resurrection as sons of God. And we can refer to ourselves as that right now as sons of God, but we're not literally technically embodying the full promise of what that title holds. Right, Sean, which is and an the, Elohim. Yeah, you're exactly right. Because the distinction lies within the nature of your creation. Right now, we're all descendants of man. We're all born from a woman, from the seed of a man. That's why we're called mankind. But the angels created on day one were, were not born through the womb of a woman. They were created by God directly. There's no, there's no one in between that process. Therefore, they're called sons of God. This is why we're spoken of, as we just read, in this metaphoric language that we are literally the sons and daughters of God at the resurrection because we're direct creations birth of the spirit as Isaiah 26, 19 tells us. Yeah. So this is what John three, eight is referring to. You must be born of water and spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. So this whole concept here is that we're not born of women. Again, we're born directly by the father and created directly by the father at the resurrection. Therefore we are like, them in this in this elohim kind this is the promise of the resurrection to be made found in the likeness of him when he appears as paul talks about it and also this is why jesus was referring subtly to um to um back to the torah when he's telling that the pharisees he's like did not you know does not the the father say that um you were called little g gods to whom the word came so the word of god through the law on sinai came to those and they called them proleptically they call them in faith that they will become elohim gods because the whole purpose of if you do these commandments you'll live and be resurrected to become in this this new kind of creation right yeah. which is this higher state of, of living and being which is what we see exemplified in the resurrection of jesus christ yeah exactly sean and in acts 23 8 um we're we're told that the pharisees actually believed you know um, differently than the Sadducees, they believe that there was spirits, angels, and the resurrection, right? But it's just funny because Nicodemus, we know, as you just mentioned in John chapter three, where he has this famous discussion with Yeshua, he was a Pharisee and he would already believed in the resurrection, but not really. <laughs> I mean, he believed in it. He just didn't understand what, what it was really all about. Right. And Yeshua yeah. was scolding him was like, what are you doing? Aren't you, a, you're a teacher and you're not understanding that you need to be born literally again so that you can look, you know, so you can enter the kingdom of God, which is what we're talking about here, brothers and sisters, this garden, this bride of this new Jerusalem Zion, right? That's how we're going to enter in and we need to literally be born again. Yes. And that's, that's why amazing. it's talking about you know, for as a man, for as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. This is that covenant of peace. This is the whole purpose for the wedding supper of the Lamb. Because he's the main bridegroom, and we are under his authority as brethren, as, you know, as he's the, the king of Israel, but we are Israel, right? So he's in that same group qualifier, resurrected mankind into this new Elohim status, as we're promised. But at the same time, we're not marrying him because he's our king we're marrying the land it's it, even the word itself ken that that's using in marriage is a is a term for entering into covenant that's right 
which is it, why earlier he says, I have a covenant of peace for you. That's the whole purpose of this. Because literally, as Yeshua already tells us in Matthew 22, verse 29, at the resurrection, we're not marrying anybody. No one's being married. No one's given in marriage. So we're we're autonomous individuals that will not be procreating and marrying men and women will not be marrying each other. And I promise you, men and men will not be marrying each other. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. So this is the whole point that we're, quote unquote, marrying. We're entering into covenants in this covenant with the land because we now have the circumcised heart of the resurrection that will allow us to never get kicked out again because we'll always do the father's instructions faithfully that is the promise of him giving us this circumcised heart as he promises us deuteronomy 30 uh verses 5 and 6 enoch chapter 6 verses 6 or yeah enoch chapter 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 5 verses 6 through 9 and then also jeremiah 31 31 through 34 so yeah, yeah, Sean. And, and you know, the word marry, unfortunately, most people when they think, and I, I fell privy to this too, you know, this marriage jargon that's in the scriptures, you think it's just like a sexual related, you know, definition. But if you actually just look up the word marry in a, in a dictionary, there's a couple definitions for it, right? And it can just mean join together or that's like right. combine harmoniously. So when it's, when it's talking about marrying the land, it's not a sexual concept. Yeah. you're just joining in with and this is the promised land we get to join and become you know people that get to participate in the promised land <laughs> that's right so, yeah and sean before we move on brother i just wanted to um touch base on the uh first i think it's the first verse of isaiah 2 which we just read on the slide there where it talks about until her righteousness which is this the city goes forth hey, like we need to be in favor we throw it back up on the screen real quick oh yeah sure that way the viewer can join us. Yeah, absolutely. So here I was just saying, and her um, righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. So with Sean and I actually, we did a, was it a three-part series, Sean, on City on the Hill? Yeah, yeah, it was three parts. Yeah, where we talk about kind of what the, what was talking about in the new testament with yeshua referring to the city like the light on a hill or, or this or the lamp on a on a lampstand or whatever it's referring to the city so we see that like the righteousness goes forth like brightness so the city is going to be extremely bright you're going to be able to see it all all over the earth wherever you are on the earth it's going to be on you'll, you'll have to see it it's going to be that bright <laughs> Yeah, I think it's uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 24 also talks about the nations walking in its light. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, very interesting, man. Yeah, it's it's amazing because this is why it talks about inside the city, there's no nighttime because the glory of the Lord, the, the, it says the lamb is, is compared to its lamp within the yeah. city that illuminates the city. And the glory of the Lord illuminates the city. There's no sun, need for the sun and moon inside the city. Now the sun and moon has an eternal contract with the Father, and that's going to continually be, per, you know, to to exist outside the city. Um, but the sun and moon itself will not be needed inside the city because the brightness of the Lord will be inside there through the through Yeshua. I don't know exactly how that works out, but the point is, you don't need the sun inside there. And if you can imagine a light inside of a crystalline object, it's a big bulb. It's a big light bulb. That's right. So it's a, uh, and that's going to bounce and that light's going to reflect and bounce off the firmament, which is a big bowl, <laughs> upside down bowl. So yeah, yeah, the whole, I mean, I don't know how far away you're going to be after from the city to actually have a real nighttime, but in my opinion, you're going to be able to see 
this thing like a torch from no matter where you are on the circle of the earth, you're going to be able to see the top of Zion shining forth from the throne of the lamb throughout the entire land. You'll never in my, never in your, in your, if you're living in the millennium, right? If you're a, a baby born in the millennium or even a survivor, you'll never again doubt that there is a creator and that he is on the earth living amongst you and that you are accountable to him and that, you know, there will be, um, and he, he is your salvation and your hope. And that's the bigger issue there is why yeah. he would even do that. So you don't forget that he loves you. He's there for you. You just have to go see him. Yeah. And Sean, for those viewers who may be joining us perhaps for the first time or perhaps missed an episode where we we're talking about the survivors of the day of the Lord and are like, what is Sean talking about? Babies being born in the millennium. And, and <laughs> yes, guys, check out that episode. Um, we only did it, what, two or three weeks back, Sean. But um, there are going to be survivors. There are going to be mortals in the millennial reign that live outside of the city and they're allowed entrance into the city for certain feast days and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, there's still fleshly human beings living outside that will eventually hopefully take part of their own resurrection at the end of the millennial reign so feel free to watch that episode it was a it was a good one i had a good time with with you on that one sean yeah and for anyone that's watching and they're interested in like we're referencing past episodes because what are we on like episode 16 i'm not sure but, but if they're asking about us referencing past episodes we've done here on parable of the vineyard you can go to the playlists the little segment on the YouTube channel for Parable of the Vineyard. There's a little segment called Playlists. Click on that, and then you can scroll down and see the Road to Rescue playlist and go in there, and you can see all of our past episodes. So tonight, so far, we've referenced Sheol teaching, which is Hell Matters, and that is the name of that episode. I think it was episode three or four. And then also City on a Hill, which I think was episodes like, what, 10, 11, and 12. And um, and those are that's a three-part series. So you can find them on the playlists. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Sean, I'm going to screen share again. We'll get going here. Thank you, sir. As you can see, brothers and sisters, Sean and I are very passionate about this. I mean, about all topics, but this one is just near and dear to our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Sean, we're in Apocalypse of Baruch, chapter four. I love this book. And it says, and the Lord said unto me, this city shall be delivered up for a time and the people shall be chastened during a time, and the world will not be given over to oblivion. Does you think that this is that city of which I said, on the palms of my hands have I graven you? This building now built in your midst is not that which is revealed with me, that which prepared, which I prepared beforehand here from the time when I took counsel to make paradise and showed Adam before he sinned. But when he transgressed the commandment, it was removed from him as also paradise. And after these things, I showed it to my servant Abraham by night among the portions of the victims. And again, also, I showed it to Moses on Mount Sinai when I showed to the likeness of the tabernacle and all its vessels. And now, behold, it is preserved with me as paradise. Go, therefore, and do as I command you. So, Sean, I'm just going to give a little bit of a context here for those who may not have, you know, broached this book of the Apocalypse of Baruch or sometimes referred to as Second Baruch. Um, what's going on here in this particular chapter is uh, Baruch is witnessing Jerusalem on the on the ground, um, about to be destroyed essentially by the Babylonians and also by some angels who actually help take part in, in in destroying the city. But he's he's just witnessing this, and the father is trying to just remind him that the city is going to be delivered 
but this this city which you're gonna watch get destroyed isn't the one that is with me this isn't the one that you should be really paying attention to right it, this is this is kind of the the, the mock mock-up version of what is revealed with me and yeah and that's, so he, that's actually what moses was even told in exodus 25 26 and 27 and also we're told that as believers from hebrews chapter 8 verses 4 and 5 that everything that right. moses was instructed to build on the ground which solomon later built into this temple that baruch is seen being destroyed was simply a copy of the one that's already in the heavens exactly and, and it's fascinating because this particular chapter tells us that you know adam was in paradise which was revealed with the father and then we also see that um abraham saw it that's and right sean, and sean and i actually we we expound on what that means in um, an episode over on his channel honor of kings or sorry kingdom in context and our show is honor of kings where we discuss these extra biblical books and and this particular extra biblical book which is being referred to here in this verse about abraham among the portions of the victims by night was shown paradise we get to see that in the apocalypse of abraham which is a fascinating book guys um you're totally free to go check that that out that's been a fun endeavor with brother sean but um yeah so abraham saw paradise and then obviously moses saw it on, on mount sinai he was he was revealed you know to make the tabernacle and all its vessels according to the pattern that he saw revealed which was paradise yep that's just i love it when stuff like the apocalypse of baruch just not only amplifies what we already get in the canon but just you know just reinforces it to the point where it it, it brings so many concepts to, together in one succinct statement you know so mm -hmm. whereas in, before i run into these apocryphal books right that used to be in the canon as brother justin here on parable of the vineyard uh with christian truthers justin best he put out a great video several weeks ago about how the west was lost just just di dissecting into the process of who took these books out of the bible about 140 years ago and why so if you guys haven't seen that, go check that out on Christian Truthers channel. And um, I mean, that's just, it, it gives you a lot of insight. So something like Baruch, which would have been in the canon already, we would have already had this information, Ken, when I was 20 years old, like, you know, know, 18 years ago, I would have had this information to read and to comprehend and to chew on when I'm reading Exodus or when I'm reading Isaiah 49 or when I'm reading Revelation 21. Like, you know what I'm saying? Instead of me being so confused for so many years trying to figure out and having to diligently like a like a huge jigsaw puzzle put together these pieces over time, I could have had it just explained to me in a few sentences like Baruch does. You know, yeah. and I'm just like, oh, thank you, Father, for revealing these to me. But also thank you for giving me the fortitude and the and the zeal to search you out, even though it was it was fragmented over time and I had to put it together like a big clue like a yeah. big like a big mystery hunt you know yeah exactly sean and it's just it makes me question you know because it's so in your face i mean you can't there's no obscurity here with with these texts right um why would if, if you were someone that had to dictate a potential agenda right and you would want to remove books a book like this would be in my opinion something you'd want to remove because it tells you straight up that nothing on this earth is what you should be striving for, right? A structure, a city, a nation, because we well, know that. As, I'm sorry, go ahead, brother. No, go ahead, man. I was just going to say, as um, as Justin puts it in his video, How the West Was Lost, you know, we see that um, the guy that, like his name was Westcott, right? We see the guy who removed these didn't actually believe this narrative. In fact, he was uh, into Darwinian evolution. So as we have already talked about earlier, 
you know, the biblical creation model supports everything Baruch is saying about paradise, this little garden of Eden that was taken up through the ferment and being preserved with the father until it's brought back down to Revelation 21. But if you believe in ev evolutionary Darwinism that's built upon heliocentricity, which is not what the Bible describes for creation, then you have to take this out of the Bible. Yeah. These passages that we're reading, you have to remove them because it doesn't line up with what you believe about the creation. Yeah. And if so, you if you subscribe to dispensationalism as well, right? And you don't yeah, want to see it, these yeah. blatantly outright in your face texts that say that the Torah is eternal, that the commandments are to be followed, and that they're to be followed through like they're just there's no absolutely no ambiguity with in regards to that and in these extra biblical books. It's the commandments are for everybody and they're eternal and they're amazing and they're good for you. So you'd want to yeah. remove those two for that reason as well. Yeah. So basically what they've done in, in addition to hiding hiding the behavior that we're going to be following in the paradise of God, which is quote unquote, heaven come down to earth. It's also literally hiding the heaven come down to earth in the future. The prophecy of that. Now, don't get me wrong. Guy. Don't get me wrong. We know, can we know from the modern Canon that we can still find Torah observance and how it's eternal. Psalm 119, um, Isaiah two, whole bunch of uh, Zechariah 14, whole bunch of other places yeah. where it will tell us that we, you know, that the commandments, which is God's instructions for living are not going away. Matthew 5, 17 through 20, uh, Romans 6, 8, uh, 5 through, excuse me, Romans 8, 5 through 8, Romans 3, 31. Like we could just go on and on. There's a lot of Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Yeah. Yeah. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. And then, and we also can see as, as we've pieced together tonight before we even got to this verse that yes, there was a garden. It was, it was removed and taken up and it's going to be coming back as, as the new Jerusalem, which is the kingdom of heaven. But at the same time, if you're, if you're taking these uh, specific passages out and these specific books out while simultaneously telling everyone the Old Testament doesn't apply to you anymore, only focus on the New Testament. Well, then anything now that you're reading in the New Testament that is explained from the Old Testament, you're clueless about and you have to reinterpret and redefine. It's a dastardly clever plan. And it is, and, and we're, we are speculating and Ken and I acknowledge that, but there's a lot of evidence to this speculation and it is a, and if that's what was intended around the 1860s or 1880 or whenever it happened, it was a, a, you know, it just reminds me of that saying about the, the serpent in the garden who was more clever and more subtle than the rest, because it is definitely a work of the enemy to take the father's word and try to just take out certain pieces. And then what's left, tell them three quarters of it doesn't matter. And then now let's just try and reinterpret the end of it. Yeah. And it's just everyone's running around in complete abject confusion. And that's what we've seen for the last hundred plus years. Yeah, absolutely, brother. And I just I'm so thankful that the father, you know, has given us the ability to use, you know, spirit given common sense to, to question. Right. And to see some right. of the incongruencies and things that just aren't lining up. Right. And then that forces us to to. to be truth sleuths right to look around that's where great. you know what, what's missing and then all of a sudden you start seeing oh my gosh there's more texts they were in canons they're currently in other you know traditions in the world where they compile scriptures and, and consider them to be scripture and it's just yeah yeah it, it can be frustrating for sure brothers and sisters but um it's definitely worth looking into i, I would highly recommend that if you haven't if you feel like it's something that you know if you have this gut feeling where you're like, I don't know, it doesn't sound right. I would just say there's no harm in testing it. We're, we're told to be Bereans, test it. And there are some documents out there, some books that for sure are not 
that's why we have the context of the 66 to you know to add to act as our litmus test right to see whether or not these things line up right so yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. You know, when I was a kid, Ken, I used to I used to love reading Encyclopedia Brown books and also the Hardy Boy books. Encyclopedia Brown books were these little mystery books for kids that was probably you know like eleven and under, but then the you know the Hardy Boys were kind of written for the teenagers usually. But um, but I read them when I was from like starting at seven years old. A friend of mine named Craig got me turned on to them, and I was just fascinated and read them all the time. And the whole point was they were mystery books, right? All of them. Right. whole point of them was that you try to figure out, you know, who's the bag and there's Hardy boys running adventures and punch people and drove around old jalopies. You know, I think it was most of it was seven forties. <laughs> um, there were some newer versions, but encyclopedia Brown was supposed to be a really smart kid that was hired out around the neighborhood to be a detective. And so of course it was basically for kids, a mystery, mystery books. You try to figure out. And I would get so upset when I would read them and not figure out who did what by the end of the book or by the end of the story. You know, and that yeah. just bugged the fire out of me, man. I was just like, no, I do not accept the fact that I, so therefore I read a ton of books because then I was trying to get better at figuring out what happens at the end before I get to the end. And, <laughs> and for whatever reason, the father has carried that, that drive over into my adult life as I read scripture. And that's, that's why you said it well, we're truthless at this, you know, this, because before we run into some of these apocryphal books that just lay it out so plainly. And so there's no, there's no sleuthing required. Uh, you know, there was years where I was just following clues throughout the scriptures, trying to put this idea with this idea and make sense of it and figure out what's going on, which makes you dig super deep, you know, and look for context. And, and um, so I'm just, I'm thankful for the father that he's given us his word to learn and study. It's a great adventure in my opinion. And it is um, because not only does it help us in, with encouragement, for our for our walk and our faith but to share with others and to rightly explain the coming of the gospel of the kingdom of god to to the the rest of the world right and, and don't get me wrong to the viewer who's maybe thinking wait a minute sean are you what about jesus of course jesus is in this he's a part of this to explain the gospel of the kingdom of god is to mean that you're proficient in understanding what jesus did for you and how he became your high priest how he was born of a woman was obedient unto death, was honored and glorified into the position and role of high priest, king, redeemer, Elohim, that he was prophesied and promised to be all the way from, from Enoch, yeah. all the way forward. So to, to even talk about the gospel of the kingdom of God is to inherently understand the Messiah as a central key role because he is the king of this kingdom that we're talking about. Amen. So of course we're going to talk about him. Of course we're going to magnify him. Of course we're going to glorify him. And we're going to praise him. He's, he's a component piece that is, that makes sense of all of it because he literally makes it happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amen, brother. And I just wanted to mention our, our show title of honor, honor our Kings, where we, we, we go by this proverb chapter 25 two, where it says it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of Kings to search out a matter. And that's what we're trying to do. I believe that's what the father's given all, all of us, right? The ability to search these things out that he's concealed in his word. And so when we do that, he's going to reveal the truth to us. And it's just, it's, there's nothing better. There really is nothing better to spend your time doing, honestly, right? Prayer, meditating on the word and doing what the father has told us to do, right? And and as we stumble upon these truths, we live them out, right? We don't just read it and then close the book and go on doing whatever we we apply it to our lives and that's what's going to change us right and this is the kind of behavior that the father wants to get us doing right now so that we can do it for an eternity with him and his kingdom which is amazing yeah amen 
Right on. Amen, brother. Hey, okay, buddy. Next one? Yeah, I'll pull it up. All right, guys, we're in second Ezra. Sean, do you want me to read it or do you want to read it? Oh, I can read it real quick. Uh, second Ezra is 8, 51 and 52. It says, but understand you for yourself and seek out the glory for such as be like you. For unto you is paradise opened. The tree of life is planted. The time to come is prepared. Plenteousness is made ready. A city is built and the rest is allowed. Yea, perfect goodness and wisdom. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, second Ezra is so much fun. And I'm going to keep... Uh, well, I'm sorry. What what sticks out to you, brother, about this one? What's uh... Well, you have the highlighted blue here where it says a city is built. So yeah. we're obviously claiming that that's the new Jerusalem. That's the paradise, the garden of God, right? And what's inside of that is a tree of life that is planted. That's right. So that's, that's fascinating to me. And that's something, Sean, that I, I love to use in discussions that i have with people who who really struggle with the millennial reign and when the new jerusalem this this city that is built um manifests itself a lot of people think it's at the end of the millennial reign but then when you see that well par like there's trees of life and waters that come from you know it, it necessitates yeah. that the city comes with it right these aren't yeah, separate really. things and this is why I love Ezekiel 47, because it actually talks about the tree of life and actually calls them more than one tree that grow along the river of life and that they're the leaves of these trees are actually used for medicine, for the healing of the nations, of those who survive the day of the Lord. So this is not post-millennial. This is this is the start of the millennial reign because there's survivors that will need surviving. <laughs> and the city exactly. itself is a part of that surviving. Yeah. Um, and then these trees of life that grow along the river of life. And it, even in, I think it's Joel three and other places, but the river of life itself as Ezekiel 47 talks about, it is going to go out of the city of God to replenish and, and restore all the lands of the earth that are destroyed throughout right. the events of revelation at the coming of the Lord. Yeah. So this is exactly remember so, at one point the seas turned to blood. Yeah, Exactly. So a lot of things need healing and the only way that they can get healed is if God's kingdom comes and That's right. Yeshua isn't coming with like a tree of life in his arm. You know what I mean? Coming down like the, it's all coming down as one unified whole. And so I just encourage you. Brothers and sisters. My, yeah. Ken, I was just going to add real quick. The reason my, in my opinion that so many struggle against this idea of the new Jerusalem starting coming down after, you know, the day of the Lord, after the, Yeshua comes back with his angels through the firmament to route the wicked out of land of promise. Um, and then the, the city comes down after that at the beginning of the thousand year reign. And the reason why, in my opinion, so many people struggle with that is because they're still thinking of a heliocentric model and they're not understanding the idea of an enclosed biblical creation model as scripture describes. And so it, to me, it's just, it's just completely implicit in this whole process that if the earthquake is so great, all the nations of the cities are destroyed. The hills are literally leveled out. Um, none of that, none of that, you know, not only does it not make sense on a, on a ball, but um, the scriptures say we do not live on a ball. We live on a plane of the earth and that there's waters and seas and land. And then this thing is going to sit down. The new Jerusalem, 1500 square miles uh, is going to sit down over the promised land and all the nations are going to stream to it so they can get provisions to survive because they've just been endured 42 months of Apollyon wrecking havoc on the earth and wars and destroying all kinds of stuff and trying to destroy the earth itself. So 
the save this is the the part here where the savior comes back and is actually doing the saving part <laughs> yeah right yeah so he's like because he's got the tree of life the city which is as provisions for the people we're going to be resurrected and taken into the storehouse which is what he calls it in matthew 13 the barn right this is where the wheat is gathered into the barn where the resurrected but there's still those outside the the city who are going to be sifted and separated the goats from the sheep the goats are thrown away but the sheep are going to be brought to the city and cared for and this is where isaiah 2 2 through 5 comes in where we will teach them torah we actually teach them the behavior of the father so they can start to emulate it which will heal the land itself as well yeah yeah exactly brother no, I agree. I, I agree that the heliocentric mindset definitely thwarts people from understanding, um, you know, how the new Jerusalem presents itself and when and, and, and you know, the whole mechanics behind that. But I would also say, Sean, that a, a huge stumbling block that I've encountered with people is that this political ideology that refers to itself as Zionism, right? The political state of Israel. Yeah. That throws another kind of... Um, you know people for a loop yeah there's a, there's a lot there to unpack and that's um and that's actually um yeah there's a lot there to unpack about zionism and how it's trying to fake what the scriptures and the prophets promise us will happen when the messiah returns yeah so yeah brother okay we can we continue moving on if you're good yeah you want to read the second Ezra's two passage i'd love to Okay, we're in 2nd Ezra 2 here, 10 to 14, and it says, Thus saith the Lord unto Ezra, Tell my people that I will give them the kingdom of Jerusalem, which I would have given unto Israel. Their glory also will I take unto me, and give these the everlasting tabernacles, which I had prepared for them. They shall have the tree of life for an ointment of sweet savor. They shall neither labor nor be weary. Go, and ye shall receive. Pray for few days unto you, that they may be shortened. The kingdom is already prepared for you. Watch. Take heaven and earth to witness, for I have broken the evil in pieces and created the good, for I live, saith the Lord. Oh, what a beautiful promise. And just real quick, for, for any of the mothers watching who uh, have children running around at their feet and they're, they're trying to multitask and they get tired throughout the day, you were just promised that you're going to have the tree of life for an ointment and you won't have to work and you will not be weary. Mm -hmm. You're yeah. finally going to feel rested. <laughs> <laughs> so I just I just want to encourage the ladies out there. Just you know, heaven is coming. <laughs> it's coming. It is. Your, your Messiah knows what you need, and He is the Father of good gifts. He's bringing rest to you. Yeah, is it, amen. Is it, our, is it our our thousand year rest we're getting? It's amazing. It's actually yeah. eternal, but that's just you know. <laughs> so that's yeah. just the start of it. Yeah, just the start, man. Just a taste. And I, I, here's what's so interesting. If you leave this passage up real quick, Ken, it tells at the very beginning in verse 10, tell my people, I would give them the kingdom of Jerusalem, which I would have given to Israel. Now, wait, Ken, I thought Israel was in Jerusalem during the, I mean, didn't they build the temple there with Solomon? Didn't they do sacrifices? Didn't they have a kingdom there that it was expensive and at one point glorious? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding, brother. So it's just, this is another clear distinction as this is why Paul can say in Galatians 4.26 that the, the mother above is Jerusalem. Jerusalem above is our mother. Okay. Because this is whom we await, right? This is the, this is the true kingdom that the earth based kingdom, which in Jeremiah and other places in Isaiah is called daughter Jerusalem. 
but mother Jerusalem is above with the father being preserved for the millennial reign to come down to the earth. And this is what, this is what the father is telling to Ezra, you know, to the people that were in rebellion as they were living in the copy and shadow in daughter Jerusalem during the days of Ezra. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Sean, I mean, there, there's so much here. I mean, even just following that, that verse where it says their glory also will I take unto me and give these the everlasting tabernacles, which I had prepared for them. I mean, you know, Yeshua asked the father, he says, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the beginning. Right. Yeah. And this glorification process is something that we get to undertake as resurrected immortals. Right. And so this glory that Israel, which is not referring to a soul bloodline Israel. This is anybody who follows the commandments of God, wants to be in covenant, has faith in, in Yahweh's son, the Messiah, who's, who will save us on the day of the Lord. That's who Israel is. And so when, when we get our glory, our glorified bodies, he's going to take us to him. And we can do that in those bodies, which is such an amazing promise because we can actually draw near to our father and, 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 seek his face without the fear of death because we have these bodies these elohim status bodies which is just incredible and on top of that we get these everlasting tabernacles which he has prepared for us right and, right. and oh my gosh like Did, how what, amazing what, it's so amazing man what chapter was that when we were doing honor of kings and we were going over enoch and enoch saw the rooms prepared for the righteous yeah what was that that was in the was the 60s Oh, I want to say it was like 42 or 40. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head, but, but um, man, it was just, uh, yeah, they're already, you know, as, as we read here in second Ezra, so I think it's verse 13. Um, the kingdom is already prepared for you. So, yeah. And this yeah. is where now, of course, this is Ezra talking. This is the, we're, we're, we want to put this in context, Ken. We've been talking about the, the transitioning of the garden of Eden, which is the, what we're realizing now is the bride, the, the new Jerusalem to come. And we're transitioning from the garden at its state back then and originality of creation as it's being expanded and enlarged to fit all the inhabitants of the resurrection. So, which in my opinion, Ken, it's also going to be able to fit all the inhabitants that are going to be birthed and populating throughout the millennial reign, but that's a little bit different, more specific conversation. But yeah. what I'm getting at here is this concept of here is the kingdom is already prepared for you, right? So then Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. What's going on here? So we know that there is constant activity in the kingdom. The kingdom itself is already prepared, but there's other things that are happening all along the way throughout time. This is the part, Ken, where I think sometimes in our Christian mindset from what we've grown up with in our modern life in the several last generations is people kind of, they kind of think that there's, there's nothing going on above us in, in actually the heavenly realm. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I think they just this concept kind of manifests in your mind that you just are this in this bright nothingness and you're just floating around. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of what <laughs> I mean. Yeah, there's, there's there's an entire city up there. There's life, there's activity, there's angels, there <laughs> there's there's a sanctuary where incense is being burned, apparently according to uh, Jubilees and other other passages and even Isaiah. There's guys, there are is an entire life world up there yeah. of angelic activity. Food. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm saying there's seven firmament layers, right? We're just yeah. inside of one. Yes. Yeah. So, I'm just saying, like, you know, there's there's an entire act, you know, act of creation happening above us. 
And the enemy has just convinced us that we're it, that we're an insignificant speck on an insignificant planet and in an insignificant part of the universe. And that is such a lie. It's such a lie. And this is the, the whole of creation model, the whole the story of the gospel, the kingdom of God, and how the Messiah was prophesied, fulfilled, resurrected, ascended, and glorified as our high priest to make it a reality for us, to come down as the bride, the new Jerusalem, who, to whom he is the bridegroom, and we are all guests at this wedding who are brought into this kingdom through our Messiah. The whole thing, the whole thing is obfuscated and completely nullified in the heliocentric model. So this whole concept is that the father from the very Genesis one, from the very beginning, gave us the setting for which this whole story takes place. And only in the details of this story only makes sense inside that setting because he's not an author of confusion. He's an, he's an incredibly gifted author who can create a story that's succinct and has no continuity plot holes. So this whole concept here is that, you know, we're reading about a kingdom that's been promised to the people of Israel. But yet people that consider themselves part of Israel were in rebellion and apostasy. And they left the covenant and were scattered from the land. And they they even lost the earth-based kingdom. And I pray for their souls that they would have, you know, hopefully they uh, repented afterwards. And we we know that some of them did in Second Chronicles chapter 30 during the days of Hezekiah. There's men from five different tribes did repent and come back to Judah and celebrate Passover, um, which is, means you have to be in covenant to do that. And so, therefore, you know, I, I just think it's interesting, though, know, that... Um, this is a this is a big story taking place in a specific environment, and um, and it just all that loses its meaning if you don't understand the environment that this is taking place in. And as an extension, the enemy has used that over time to try to convince the average person that they don't have any meaning. And so this is why we run across this all the time in church. Ken is that people and they don't understand what they're reading. And they've been told the first three parts of the book don't make it are not applicable to them anymore. So then they have to subjectively interpret the last quarter of the book just to find meaning. Yeah. You because know, as we say here in the East Coast, Nova Scotia, it's such a sin. What a sin, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of it, what that means is it's just it's terrible. What a tragedy. Like what a travesty. Like this is how like how could how could this be? Right. And yeah. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate, man. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, like it. brother. Before we move on, I just wanted to um, point out something interesting there, where where he says, "Pray for a few days that they may be shortened. Pray for the days to be shortened." Essentially, is how I understand that. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing to throw into your prayers. A father shorten the days, right? Because what is it? What, what does he say thereafter? The kingdom is already prepared for you. So yeah. we want to get to that kingdom, right? So shorten those days. And we know that the days are going to be shortened. That's because right. times are coming on the earth where if they don't get shortened, the very elect can, there won't be no one left on the earth. So sure. I think that's Matthew 24, 22. Is that right? Yeah, Matthew 24. But, uh, Sean, I'm yeah, not man. Sean's encyclopedia, man. I'm, I'm the Ken encyclopedia, but it's very limited. <laughs> yeah, whatever, man. You, you got it. <laughs> John, actually, before um, we move on to uh, Revelation, I wanted to just go back to slide number 12 here, which is still in Second Ezra's, because I thought it was just, just such a beautiful reminder um, and straightforward what it says about the bride. Yeah. Go ahead, brother. Okay. So here in Second Ezra's chapter 7, brothers and sisters, it says, Behold, the time shall come that these tokens or signs, which I have told thee, shall come to pass, and the bride shall appear. 
and she coming forth shall be seen, that now is withdrawn from the earth, and whosoever is delivered from the foresaid evils shall see my wonders. So, Sean, I know we talked about this last episode, but I just thought it was, you know, um, important to bring this one up again because right here, as is told by the Father, that bride shall appear and this bride is already in his day withdrawn from the earth so this is not referring to human beings that's right we've already been iterating throughout this entire episode and even the previous episode this bride is likened to the city it's referring to the city the new jerusalem that's right and i think we're about to get even more very just very clear referencing in in revelation so that's yeah great reminder ken thank you no problem all right, Sean, I got that pulled up here if you want to read that. Cool, brother. It says, Revelation 19, verse 7 through 8. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So this trips up a lot of people because they think it's referring to the her as the saints as a whole. The guys, we're all given robes of righteousness, white robes. Uh, at the resurrection. This is also referred back to in Revelation 6, verses 7 through 9. Um, but, you know, many, many other passages, also in Ezra and Baruch, that we're told that the resurrection will get robes of righteousness and, um, and that they're white, linen, and fine and clean, right? And how, as we read back in, um, what was it, Isaiah 49, right? That the sons and daughters, that the, the woman that's being spoken to, Zion, would bind them on as a bride. Yeah, and this is what we're seeing the fulfillment of here in Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8. Yeah, bind them on as jewels, even. Yeah, that's what I meant. Bind them on yeah. as jewels, as a bride does. Yeah, that's that was back in Isaiah 49 we read last week. Yeah, there's Sean, there's another extra biblical text. I can't remember where it is, but it, it talks about how your sons will, will be bound to your walls as jewels or something like that, too. So it just further... Yeah, and that's also in Revelation 2, I believe, where Yeshua says, I will make you, um, I give you place among my walls. No, wait, no, wait. I think that's, I'm, I think I'm misquoting that. I have to look it up. But you're right. It's also talked about in the canon. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. And it's 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 cool, right? It's another one of those weird little adjunct parts of scripture that you can just totally gloss over. And it's like, well, whatever. We're getting these, you know, fine linen robes, whatever. I think there's some interesting properties to these robes, Sean. It's very possible. The way I see this happening as a as like a big scale, if you're looking from a distance at the New Jerusalem sitting down on the ground, and as we read later in Revelation 21, it's its walls are clear. You can see into it. And in, and as we told in multiple, you know, I think it's um, Second Baruch um, 51, I believe, and also Revelation 22, where it talks about at the resurrection we will be illumined with the glory of the Lord, with the light of God. And this is you know why we're you know, we see, you know, this this concept um, with Jesus as well. And this is just what happens when you have purity flowing inside you from the power of God and the spirit of God. And and you are pure yourself. And so I think that that's fascinating because if imagine the scene of millions, Lord willing, billions of people inside the New Jerusalem. And the you can see through this massive 1500 square mile walled off city. You can see into the clear crystal crystalline type walls. Um, and inside of it, you see all the robes of righteousness glowing because of the resurrected saints moving everywhere. So yeah, you're you're bound on like, and I think that reference to to be having a place in the walls um, is actually wonderfully fitting when we understand like old school cities and how they would have people living inside the literal boundaries of the exterior wall of the city, 
like we yeah. saw in Jericho, right? The spies come in and Rahab, she was living inside the city wall. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, brother. And it just makes makes me wonder more about Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 22 with respect to the when Yahweh gives this ran, what seems like a random instruction to not mix linen and wool. And you know, if I've seen some interesting studies about how when you do mix those things, it gives off kind of like a negative frequency or something like that, which can be somewhat harmful for your body or like a body of flesh. Oh, good catch, um, brother. That could be yeah, absolutely yeah. That could that could mess with your your light bright <laughs> yeah exactly so we know that the, the linen robes themselves give off a really positive frequency which you know if we're, if we're made of water and spirit as john chapter 3 talks about i'm sure that they you know the linen robe and the frequency involved with that will only help illuminate us a little better but that's interesting yeah that'd be a fun experiment so course we'll have to wait till the kingdom to try it but i'll tell you when we get there that's how it works out no I'm just <laughs> yeah it makes me wonder like if when you're getting out your robes and and uh if anyone will look at it and go wait just linen i don't get any breathable polyfabrics and they're like dude <laughs> Raphael's and Sheol looking at you like dude just read the door again get yeah. come on guys because <laughs> <laughs> you're not resurrected yet so it's not imprinted on you yet but the point is um, we're just making playful conversation guys don't don't take that too far um so all right you want to read the next one revelation 21 yep sure all right revelation 21 two to three and it says and i saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god made ready as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Once again, Sean, pretty self-explanatory in my opinion here. Absolutely. In fact, so much so, if you want, you, you're welcome to just read the next one. It flows right sure. together. Sure. And this, this, brothers and sisters, actually ties perfectly with Jeremiah 31 and other many other places where it talks about us being God's people and God himself will be among us. So yes. in, in context of the bride coming and the tabernacle of God. Yes. All right. Revelation 21, nine to 10 says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. There it is. So just perfectly with uh, Second Ezra seven, and it just lines up. You know Isaiah fifty four, Isaiah forty nine. This is the this is the wife of the lamb, and we're guests at this wedding. So because our king is going to marry the and bring us into this as a result, because we're under his authority and therefore a part of him, we're coming into this land and we're going to be entering into covenant just as he does with the land itself, as we read from Isaiah 62 verses one through five. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. specifically named it the Holy city, Jerusalem coming down out of, out of heaven, out of the firmament from God. Yeah, Sean, I mean this, if you don't want to consider after biblical texts, I mean, this one, you can't interpret it any other way, right? Yeah. This one, this one and Isaiah 62, four and five, it, it should be case shut, but there's still a lot of, you know, a lot of questions out there and that's fine. That's why we, you know, our, our goal is to just offer the scriptures and pray that the Holy Spirit waters these things because we feel like some of these terms are very, very clearly written 
And it just takes us believing what they say and just solidifying it with the context, which just becomes ultimately just means we're becoming more and more familiar with the texts, which inherently means we have to put some time in, you know, That's right. That's just, right. we just, we want to be pay faithful and diligent to be studied and approved and just uh, spend time with our father, getting his word, you know, and, and then that's where you can start to see he's he repeating these concepts over and over and over and over, which is why we had how many slides over over this two part presentation to talk about this one topic. Yeah, 31 slides. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a great number. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, there's say what I was just going to say, do you want to finish off? We're on our last slide here. Sure, I'll gladly. So we're going to be in the Apocalypse of Baruch, chapter 51, verse 11. It says, For there shall be spread before them the extents of paradise, and there shall be shown to them the beauty, the majesty of the living creatures which are beneath the throne, and all the armies of the angels who are now held fast by my word, lest they should appear and are held fast by a command that they may stand in their places till their advent comes. Okay. Beautiful. Now we actually saw this in Enoch too, right? You remember That's that right. we saw the, the Enoch sees the armies that are ready for the day of the Lord standing before the throne. Yes, we're seeing him again, and he's even saying, "And they they're they're held fast by my word, lest they should appear." And you do not want that. We do not want that until the timing of their advent, which is when they return with Yeshua, because that is where they just come to to this Joel two. You know, what I'm saying it's they're burning everything because they're preparing. The foundation for the city is set down so yeah it's amazing man joel 2 habakkuk 3 i mean we even see that in apocalypse of abraham as well where it's there's this innumerable amount of you know angels of fire around his throne that are held back by his word right yes. they're just waiting for that go right yeah <laughs> yeah well, they're waiting for that last trumpet that's yeah, their yeah exactly that's, that's their the racing, yeah shotgun right there so it's, man, it's just amazing. Uh, paradise is spread before them. And so this is what we actually read about earlier, where it talked about how um, Adam was taken out and also removed, not just from the sanctuary, but also from paradise. And this is why you and I, like, this would be a little bit, little bit more of a, of, a, of a specific, you know, telescopic view into this particular topic where we would actually dissect what is in the original Garden of Eden, which apparently there was in a sanctuary. And as Enoch tells us, there's mountains and streams, and I mean, there's it's it's an entire ecosystem, guys. And um, and there's a and this, of course, is where Yeshua's throne is going to be, and and the Father as well. So, I mean, this is there's a lot to it, but at the same time, ah, oh, such a beautiful promise that we're we're going to get a walk barefooted through the <laughs> through the grass or something along the river of life. You know, as apparently in the vision in Enoch in chapter, what, 46, 47, he actually goes into the river of life waist deep. Yes, he does. In, in the vision, in the vision. No no man has <laughs> yeah. ascended in heaven yet until the resurrection. But I just think that's fascinating, you know. Yeah, it's amazing, man. It, it truly is. And so, brothers and sisters, we hope that what we've accomplished in these two parts um, is that the Garden of Eden, which is the Garden of God and Paradise, the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, they're all synonymous. It's all talking about the same thing. And we see that this garden, this kingdom is referred to in feminine form throughout the scriptures, predominantly in the book of Isaiah, but she's also referred to as the bride. So she's the bride in context. And Sean, I'm just going to throw up on the screen real quick before we close out, brother. 
um, you have here on your channel here in Kingdom and Context, you've done a three-part series on titled The Bride, right? That's a two-part, yeah. Two part. Is it two-part? Okay, I see three yeah. videos in here. I didn't want to open it up, but... Well, sometimes I make advertisements for my videos. Okay. <laughs> I make little short commercials before they before I release them, so... Okay. But yeah, brothers and sisters are welcome to to watch that. John lays it out beautifully um, in those videos. And I also on my channel here uh, talk about the bride, or not the bride specifically, but about the Garden of Eden of Paradise. And it's called Paradise Found. And it just goes over what we've been talking about tonight and, and last episode. So feel free to do that. Subscribe to our channels and subscribe to Parable of the Vineyard. Um, and as also uh, the Christian truthers. And uh, yeah, we hope that you guys have been blessed by this discussion. Yeah, we really appreciate you keep sticking with us if you've stayed till the end. And um, just, you know, this is what's our, our passion for our Father's Word and also to bring clarity to to help other people understand it so they can be as excited about this stuff as we are. Because to be honest with you, you're trying to talk with a stranger that's an unbeliever about some of these concepts. It's very difficult to, to fellowship and enjoy and lightheartedness yeah. and eager anticipation, right? So because you're just constantly having to engage in like these first layer apologetics of just even whether God exists or not, much less he exists. The Messiah is real. We believe in him. We've put our faith in him. We're walking in obedience in him. And this is what he's promised us. Let's talk about the goodies. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> Yeah, it's just yeah. So that's why Ken and I love doing this so much, and we appreciate you joining us on this road to rescue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, amen, and thank you so much. Uh, leave your comments, please, if you have them, and um, be kind, guys. Use your use your words kindly. I know that this this is a topic that for sure is is going to create a lot more questions, and that's fine. And and we just ask that if you do have them, that you would just be kind and and how you you know formulate them and so thank you once again guys for for joining us and we really appreciate you and um john and i are just blessed to have this um this honor to be on parallel the vineyard to to present these things and so we just ask that you you know would consider what we're talking about and, and test them to the scriptures amen thanks for joining us be sure to be here next week at uh, uh in the evening time i know there's different time zones so i hate just throwing <laughs> out one random time but Join us here next week for our continuation of the Road to Rescue. We appreciate you joining us. We'll see you next time.